and welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week, we're separating ourselves from the spookiness, and we're going straight into the galacticness of Star Wars once again. Yes, with another divisive movie. Yeah, I'd say divisive, but not. I feel like it's not as strongly divisive as some of the other ones. But from what I have seen in regards to this film, people either like it okay or they don't like it. I, I feel like there's no one that either loves or hates this movie. <laughs> it's just like, it's okay or like, it's not that good. I enjoy it. We're talking about Solo, guys. <laughs> yes. Yes, we are covering Solo, a Star Wars story. And uh, we both saw this in theaters. I think we saw this twice, didn't we? Uh, no, we only saw it the one time in theaters, but we went in about a week in when all the hatred and vitriol for this movie. Oh, maybe that's okay. Yeah. So it felt like we were walking into a movie. Right. I feel like even before we heard about the hate, we went in with pretty low expectations, as I'm sure most people did, because I, I just don't think, considering what this movie was, in conjunction with all the backstage mishigas that was going on, I don't think people really had any high expectations that this movie was going to be amazing or anything. Well, well, when you think about it, this movie had two things going against it from the very beginning. A, you kicked off the original directors in uh, Lord and Miller. Yes, we're going to talk about that in a second, but continue. And B, you're replacing Harrison Ford. Come on, admit it. Sometimes you think I'm all right. Occasionally, maybe, when you aren't acting like a scoundrel. Scoundrel? Scoundrel? I like the sound of that. Right, but I mean, okay. That I'm not as mad about, because if you're going to do a movie like this, you obviously can't have Harrison Ford in it. Well, uh, I'm, not, I'm saying, of course you can't, but those are two very uphill battles. Okay. I will say, though, before we get into the Michigas of the direction of this film, I did really enjoy the actor that plays Han in the film. Yeah, Alden Ehrenreich. I think did a good job. Yes, I remember when we watched it the first time thinking he did a good job, and we watched it again, and I still think he did a good job with it. He did have an uphill battle, for sure, because people are going to automatically look at him and be like, you're not Harrison Ford, fuck you. But I think he did the job because he channeled Han without doing like an over-the-top, hammy-like impression of Harrison Ford. And also, I have to mention, because it is me after all, I was probably one of, if not the only people that knew who Alden Ehrenreich was going into the movie, <laughs> because um, he, this is, this is going to be sad, guys, get ready. He was in season one, episode two <laughs> of Supernatural. <laughs> Holy crap, we don't care. If you had your bingo card, 
put 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 an X on that on your bingo card right next Fra- to the free space. Frankie makes the supernatural reference. Okay, so yeah, he he was in season one, episode two. It was an episode called Wendigo. He played a kid that was being terrorized along with his siblings by a wait for it Wendigo, and I I recognized his face when I saw I remember recognizing his face in the poster I'm like I know who that is and then I gave it a good think think and I realized who it was looked it up and I was right and I was so happy I actually was hoping that you know despite how this movie was you know seen by audiences that this role would kind of jumpstart his career but I haven't seen him do anything since this unfortunately I think he's going to appear in the series for Crimson Dawn. Oh, there's going to be a series for that? Yes, because... Oh, I hated that aspect of this movie. Well, That's unfortunate. <laughs> well, I heard it is possibly going to be helmed by Lando Calrissian himself. Oh, really? He, Donald Glover's going to fucking run the series? Like That's been rumored, yes. This all could be wrong in a couple of months. Who knows? But that has been rumored that he is... That he's going to be like the showrunner or he's going to... He's going to be the showrunner. He's going to be in the show. Huh. Interesting. I mean, I am I love Donald Glover, so I wouldn't be against that. But I didn't know that was a thing that was rumored. Interesting. But he is also a very busy man. Right. Of course. Yeah. Seeing as he already has a show he is showrunning for in Atlanta. Okay. So let's talk about... The Lord and Miller Ron Howard fiasco. So this film, released in 2018, was directed by Ron Howard. However, originally the film was being directed by Lord and Miller, who were behind such films as 21 Jump Street, Lego Movie, all that good stuff. They're known for their comedic flair. Uh, they filmed for roughly five months, and then they left citing the age-old adage, creative differences. But uh, it was reported that they were fired, actually, after disagreements with Kathleen Kennedy on their style being too comedic. Uh, And then Howard took over. He filmed for the remaining three and a half weeks of principal photography and then did five weeks of reshoots. And it's reported that Howard actually reshot around 70% of the film. So Lord and Miller were no longer directors. However, they settled essentially for an executive producer credit. That's the story on that. So obviously, and you can tell by watching the movie that the tone of the movie is a little muddled. Yes. There are these goofy moments in the film, a lot of which are present in the trailer for this movie. Like there's so many obvious trailer lines. It's like ridiculous. But... That comedic tone clashes sometimes with Ron Howard's more serious tone and the visuals. Okay, the reason they brought in Ron Howard, and this is because, A, he has a good relationship with Disney, which is important, uh, but Ron Howard is a seasoned director, and they thought, okay, we need someone to kind of land this ship. Ah, get it, Star Wars, (laughs) ah, ship. But I think... With what he had, he did a good job. I mean, I didn't hate this movie. It's a fun movie. It's not It's not too difficult. It's not too weighty. It's just a fun 
movie to just sit down and watch. Yes, I would agree with that to an extent. But there are times, though, when it gets a little long in the tooth. I wanted to look up something because one of the things I didn't like the last time we saw this movie was that it felt long. And not the whole time. It's not like I was bored the whole time, but even at the points when I was entertained, it still did feel long, this movie. So I wanted to look up the runtime. The runtime for this movie is two hours and 15 minutes. So this got me thinking. I wanted to look up the runtimes for all the Star Wars movies and see, like, comparatively how it measures up. And surprisingly, that's pretty much, like, the standard. The shortest one is the very first one. It was two hours flat. All the rest of them are between two and two and a half hours. But some of them don't feel that way at all. And then some of them feel like they're five hours long. Like this and Force Awakens are the same runtime. Yeah, I can see that. But that's weird to me. And then like fucking Last Jedi is the longest one. That's two and a half hours, over two and a half hours. And that doesn't feel like it at all to me. I guess pacing is everything, I, I suppose. But... Yeah, there there were times where it seemed like we were just hopping from action set piece to action set piece and it it was just kind of not dragging but it just it was jam packed with just stuff happening. Yeah, I, I get that. But even then still I enjoyed the action set pieces. I enjoyed Alden Ehrenreich reacting to all these fucking crazy moments around him. And I mean, I love Donald Glover as Lando. Well, yes. How do you not love Mr. Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian? He does a great job. So, this movie was written by Lawrence and Jonathan Kasdan, father and son duo. Lawrence Kasdan actually had started writing this movie, but then he went over to Force Awakens, so his son ended up taking over... But before this, Jonathan Kasdan had only written, like, a couple of random films that I've never heard of, and I don't think anyone's ever heard of, and he wrote a few episodes of Dawson's Creek. So, I mean, I get you have historical ties to the Star Wars franchise from your father but like really like that's who you're gonna give your movie to because really this is a risky venture because Rogue One came before this but like nobody really gives a shit about the people the characters in Rogue One this is a spin-off that you're doing in the Star Wars universe about a beloved character this is the first time you're you're doing this and you give your script writing duties to the Dawson's Creek kid. Like, it just doesn't seem wise, but I don't know. Nepotism is a bitch, dear. I guess so. <laughs> uh, but this also, because this movie did get at least a decent amount of backlash, it also stopped a great deal of these movies coming out. Because before this movie came out, they were talking about an Obi-Wan movie, a Yoda movie. Like, they were talking about like doing all these spin-off movies of characters yeah. we knew. And then this one kind of got that lukewarm reception and everyone was like okay never mind slow down <laughs> yeah but at the same time we're still getting we have mandalorian now i feel like we wouldn't have 
they would have just did a Boba Fett movie and not done Mandalorian probably. And we're going to get the Obi-Wan series now. Yes. So that's good. I mean, I don't know. It it is what it is. But yeah, I, I think this isn't a terrible movie. I did have fun with it. But I think there are definite glaring problems that really were probably there from the get-go that really couldn't have been turned around. Like, the writing is very predictable. You know, you kind of see every twist and turn, quote-unquote, coming at you from a mile away. (laughs) Well, when you have a sitcom writer... Well, was Dawson's Creek a sitcom? I don't know. I never watched it. But it's it's the teeny bopper crap. It's the yeah, same teen- it, it kind of and that I mean that is obvious in this because every plot point is seemingly one that would be present in a teeny bopper kind of show, just with like Star Wars flair. You know what I mean? Like you have the the relationship strife between the guy and the girl, and you know that whole chestnut, and then you have like the typical father-son-ish type relationship between Woody Harrelson's character and Han Solo and it's like there's nothing really that is outside the box in this and I feel like with a movie like this you have a character that everybody knows already and you know that he's not gonna be in any real danger or peril because you know he lives so you have to have something that sets you apart and excites the audience a little bit and it certainly wasn't the visuals. It certainly wasn't the writing. And yeah, it, it's, I don't know. It's its nothing. It's hard for me to describe how I feel about this because I, again, don't hate it. But it's like, I don't, I don't know if I really love it. Like, I don't, I don't know if I really could say that I really like it either. I don't know. It's very kind of. It's like barely above middle of the road for me. Okay. We'll have to figure that out along the road. I suppose so. So you want to get into the nitty gritty now? Yes, let us get into the nitty and the gritty. Uh, We start off with slides? It's weird that they chose this because it's it's literally like a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, like they wanted to do a crawl, but they didn't want to do a crawl. It's like, okay, make up your mind, sir. Yeah, it's literally like, oh, we did a star background and this slides and they fade into the next slide. I'm like, okay, guys, just do the crawl. If you're going to do this, just do the crawl. And funnily enough, in the timeline of Star Wars, this takes place 10 years before A New Hope. And this movie also, interestingly enough, was released exactly 41 years after the release of New Hope. Ah, there we go. So that's interesting. That is very interesting. So basically the crawl tells us, we're on this planet Carillion. It is a lawless system, and there's crime everywhere, blah, 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 blah. And we cut to Han Solo doing what Han Solo does and running away from blaster fire. Yes. Uh, like we said, he's played by Alden Ehrenreich. He was a virtual unknown, which I think was the best choice for this. 
because there were other actors. I'm not going to do a cast could have been for this. There's nothing really that exciting. But I will say that there were other names in the mix, some of which had a little bigger names like uh, Miles Teller or like Dave Franco was in the mix at one point. And it's like, no, because you need someone that can kind of give you that blank slate. I think what's his name from Overlord was also in consideration at some point. Oh, uh, yes. Wyatt Russell. Yeah, I think Wyatt Russell was in the consideration at some point mm-hmm. for this. I think he was one of the last like three or four. I mean, that probably would have been fine because he, no one really knows him. I mean, they know his parents, obviously, but they don't know him. But the thing is, though, again, you're already watching this knowing that that's not Harrison Ford. So it would be, I think, even more difficult to buy a bigger named actor as Han Solo because you just look at him knowing that's not fucking Harrison Ford. That's Dave Franco or that's fucking Miles Teller. Or that's so-and-so. Like, it's so it, it Miles, worked out. Miles Teller would have been a disaster. It worked out, I think, the way. Yeah, I think he, he plays a lot of, like, kind of douchey, kind of awkward, nerdy characters. Yeah, exactly. He He's a... He doesn't really play a badass. Like, I can't see him playing like a badass No, he, he played Reed Richards, for God's sakes, in the terrible fan, fan four stick, but... Oh, jeez. Okay, so yeah, he's running away from Blaster Fire. He gets into the sewers, where he meets up with Kira. Played by Amelia Clark, Mother of Dragons. <laughs> she she's, <laughs> she's fine in this. I don't have anything to really say about her one way or the other. She's fine. Uh, yeah, so they meet up. Uh, they're saying they got enough money to finally get off this planet. And they're like, okay, we can do this. So let's get our shit and get ready to go. When they kind of get captured by their gang boss, leaders, minions, and get brought to this giant worm gang boss who's not Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, it's not Jabba, guys. It's fine. Uh, It's just Lady Jabba. (laughs) She's just like a giant worm. It was an Alaskan Jesus Christ. Oh, God. So, yeah, she's yelling at Han because Han is uh, shitty and he can't do his job. So Han's like, well, you know what? I'm getting out of here. Yeah, and, like, this interaction is really the first example of the tone being kind of, like, wonky. Because from the get-go and throughout this entire film, visually, it's just all dark and gray and bleak-looking. Like, you know, and I get that in other Star Wars movies, there are dark scenes visually and all that stuff that's fine but the entire movie is like that to the point where there are times where you can't even see what's going on because it's so dark so they have that and then in conjunction with that throughout the whole movie you have like this funny like almost marvel type humor it's like okay I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get what you're going for here. Yeah, so Han, it, it, yeah, it's, it's it's kind of a dopey, funny scene. But he throws the rock, 
gets away with Amelia Clark and they start a basically a chase through the city. Which was fun. It's a fun little chase. They're being chased by stormtroopers. They're being chased by the gang leaders people. And they're just kind of... At one point, Han is... <laughs> the main point of this, he gets to this small the this, this space that he... There's no way he's going to fit through. So he he jumps the speeder sideways to try and fit through this crack in the wall. But he just doesn't quite make it. Yeah, it's kind of like a ha-ha, like, oh, Han Solo. He's not really Han Solo yet because he, you know, he can't get out of the, the tight squeezes just yet. So Han takes Amelia Clark and they kind of break into the, I guess what you can call an airport. Kind of. Yeah, airport train station type situation. And uh, they're trying to bribe their way in to uh, transport to get off the planet uh, while they're being searched for. And of course, while they're being searched for, Amelia Clark's having this like huge like, oh, well, we're, we're not going to take this bribe thing. You have to let us through before we give you this bribe, basically, mm-hmm. of money. Like, you're being chased. Han- but she doesn't want to get fucked. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't want to get fucked, but Han's like, they're here. We got to just give her the thing so we can go. She takes too long, of course, and then Han gets onto the transport, but Amelia Clark gets grabbed, and And they're separated. Yeah, they get separated, and he's screaming out to her, I'll come back, I'll come back. I I think that was a good scene. They they did a good job with that. But then... (laughs) They're still looking for him, and he's like, fuck, what do I gotta do? He's, like, changing, he stole uh, clothes off a uh, fucking vagrant that's asleep, uh, and he's trying to hide himself, and then he's like... He sees the Empire looking for new recruits. So what does Han Solo do? He joins the Empire and he gets given his name by a fucking grunt. What do you mean, given his name, Scott? What what does that mean? What's your name, son? Han. Han what? Who are your people? I don't have people. I'm alone. Um... Solo. So this fucking guy goes, hmm, alrighty, Han Solo, that's your name, Han Solo, and it's like, what? This is, like, this is one of, (laughs) this is one of two things in the entire movie that I'm like, why did you put this here? It's stupid, it's really stupid, it's not necessary. Just have him. Just have him be like. If you just had Han be like, I'm Han Solo. Because he better. does reference his father later, so he has a father. So it's not like he's an orphan, like from birth, and he doesn't know who his family is. But, like, it, yeah. it's stupid. It's so dumb. It, like, it, and the fact that it's a nothing character. It's not like somebody like important gave him the name or something. Where he fought off it himself. You could have just had he fought off it himself. It, it would have been fine. Like, it's just so dumb. Yeah, it really is. I don't know. I don't really know what else to say. It was dumb. So Han joins the Empire. 
Uh, and we immediately cut to Han in the middle of a fucking battle. Yeah, it goes from, like, a fun action movie, like, action comedy, like, oh, we're having car chases and giving out funny one-liners, and then it immediately turns into, like, Dunkirk. And it's like, what? what? How did we get here? <laughs> and it stays like that for, like, a good 20 to 25 minutes. We're just in this mud ridden dark dusty war film (laughs) yeah so he's like like holy shit there's explosions going on everywhere and he gets called by like i guess this commanding officer to come follow him and immediately they turn and the officer gets like blown up and then he runs into woody harrelson yes woody harrelson plays Beckett and him along with two of his other cohorts are impersonating Imperial Army people but they're really like scavengers uh, and they're they're on a secret mission but it's it's Beckett played by Woody Harrelson who fun fact another actor that was strongly considered for this role was Christian Bale Batman himself Woody's better for this part than for Chris sure. Taylor. I mean, the the saving grace I think for this movie in general is its characters because the the acting is well done and there's a lot of charm in these actors that kind of holds the movie up. Uh, and Woody Harrelson is included in that for sure. We also have Val played by Thandie Newton, and we have Rio, a CGI character. He's a little alien man. Voiced by John Favreau. Ah. Our Star Wars man himself. He's one of our comedic characters in this movie. The comic relief characters in this movie are hit and miss. And mostly miss. <laughs> like Favreau's fine. Favreau's okay. But he's just being Favreau in an alien body. Like it's just it's Favreau being Favreau as an alien. It gets worse as we go forward with the comic relief, but we'll get to that soon enough. <laughs> so Alden Ehrenreich comes up to Willie Harrelson and is like, hey, you're the commanding officer because he's dressed as a captain. What do we do? And he's like, just follow me. We'll get out of here. So Woody leads them to safety, basically. And we cut to the next day. Where the now the general is like, "Good job, boys. We're doing uh, we're doing God's work here, basically." And Han Solo speaks up and goes, "What the fuck are we doing here?" He goes, "We're bringing peace to the galaxy, destroying these nuisances, basically." And Han's like, "But we're the invading force here. They were living in peace before we came right, here." Right? He says, "We're the hostiles. Like, this is their planet." But I do like that, though. I, I like how they structure Han's character in this because there's this constant kind of inner struggle: is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? You know, because he he even says Han, like, "I'm not a good person." And Kira says to him, you are a good person. You're you're the good guy. You may think you're not, but you're the good guy. And obviously that's prevalent for later, you know, when we get to New Hope and all that good stuff. But yeah, he's the lovable bad boy with the heart of gold that, you know, has 
plagued television and movies for all time. <laughs> so as the, the the troops are getting to go out again, Han Solo sees Beckett. And he notices some weird stuff about Beckett. But he also notices some weird stuff about Beckett's compadres. Rio, John Favreau's character, he's hiding his alien self under this Imperial suit. So as Han is walking behind him, he sees Rio's alien arm sticking out under the suit. And he's like, hmm, that's a little peculiar. <laughs> so he walks up to the three of them as they're talking about, you know, scavenging the place and basically going on to get supplies for their next mission. And he goes, hey, uh, Captain, it's weird that you have so many blaster holes in your suit and you have not a scratch on you. So my thought process is you stole that off a dead man. And your other friend is an alien and not an actual person. And they're like, so what do you want? He goes, I want you to take me with you. He goes, hmm, that's a, that's a possibility. But you know what I'm going to do instead? Hey, General, this man was trying to be a deserter. We caught him. Yeah, so the general's like, ah, well, throw him in with the beast as punishment. And Han's like, the beast? What? We have a beast? <laughs> and they grab Han and they throw him into this pit of despair. And who do you think we come upon in this pit of despair, Scott? <laughs> Chewy! Chewy! A very wet and muddy Chewy. Oh, poor Chewy. That hair was matted. But he is played by... The same guy that plays him in the newer movies, Junis Suotamo. And I I liked Chewie and Han's meaning in their relationship throughout the movie. They have kind of their typical buddy cop vibe going on, and I dug that. Yeah, it's it's still fun. And uh, Chewie is looking like trim and fit in this movie. I mean it's a it's a prequel so like he's obviously a little younger 190 years young but he's he's looking fit he's looking fine well yeah i think wookies live to be like 500 or something <laughs> like it, it, i think it's 500 like they live a long fucking time so Chewie and han kind of have a scrap underneath these two stormtroopers who are like trying to rile them up han starts speaking wookie and Chewie's like, what the fuck? So he starts telling Chewie that he has a plan to get out of this pit. And Chewie goes along with it. And they escape this pit. But they are chained together. So Chewie runs in one direction. Han runs towards Beckett's ship. And what way do you think they go? In Chewie's direction. Because Han's not pu pulling Chewie. <laughs> but eventually Han convinces Chewie to follow him. Because he wants to follow Woody Harrelson and friends who are about to fucking leave in their ship. So Chewie and Han go after them. And they kind of flag down the ship. And they're like, hey, let us on, buddy. <laughs> and eventually they relent and lower their ship and let Chewie and Han onto their ship. And then afterwards we get a nice little shower scene between Chewie and Han. Oh yeah, so sexy, so romantic. It, it's it's funny. Like they have a they have a good little like kind of back and forth relationship. Uh, yeah, they're cute. Han, there's a scene. I think it's at least part of it is in the trailer, where Han says to Chewie like, "So what's your name anyway?" 
Chewbacca? <laughs> Alright, well, you're gonna need a nickname, because I ain't saying that every time. So, yeah, they have a fun relationship, and he goes, you know, once we do this job with these guys, we can go any which way you want. We'll get our money. You can go your separate ways if you really want to, blah, blah, blah. And we get a little, like, sit-down meeting before this job where we introduce everybody, basically. Oh, yes, we're sitting around the fire and trading stories. John Favreau says to Han, like, what are you after, kid? You're after something. I know the look. You're hungry. And <laughs> they're like, oh, it's a girl. Oh, tell me about the girl. It's like, a, you know, such a typical, like, cookie-cutter type scene. Uh, we also learned that Chewie wants to find his tribe. Oh, yeah, that was kind of a corny line because Han's translated for Chewie. And he's like, oh, yeah, I don't know if he said tribe or family. And Woody Harrelson goes, what's the difference? And I'm like, uh. <laughs> so now we get the job that they're about to do, which is they have to steal basically this space fuel off a train. And it's a cool little, like, action set piece with this train and... They have to unhook the train and try and hook it to their aircraft. It is a fun scene, and and they have the added hitch in their little plan when this band of pirates comes along. Space pirates. And they try to fuck with them and get the space fuel from out from under them. Yeah. There's also stormtroopers and viper droids, which the viper droids look cool. So the, uh, the space pirates' emphasis nests are coming down on them and causing them this difficulty. The Viper droids have Val pinned down because she's supposed to blow the bridge as the train gets to it so that they can just, like, go away with the train. And, of course, while they're having this fight with the space pirates, John Favreau gets shot. Han has to take control of the ship. There's a little bit of a tug-of-war between Infant's Ness and Han and crew. And Han just drops the load because, you know, better to survive and go on to the next battle than to die here. And the valve gets blown up because she's basically like, it was nice knowing you and blows herself up to try and save the job. So when Han pulls out at the last minute and lets go of the fuel, Beckett calls him a coward and punches him in the face. You know, he, he buries Val and Rio. And he's pissed off because he informs Han, like, listen, we weren't just doing this job for ourselves. We're working for someone. Yes, we are working for Crimson Dawn. Which is the stupidest fucking name. I don't think it's that bad. I've, I don't I've, like I've, it. It's, I've heard a lot worse. It's dumb. Crimson Dawn. I don't know. To me, Crimson Dawn sounds like an early 2000s pop punk band. Like... Hello, New York. We are Crimson Dawn. That sounds like Simple Plan. A simple Plan-esque. Oh, okay. So, Beckett's in, is like, okay, we have to go to Crimson Dawn and talk to Jarvis. <laughs> we have to talk to the, the head of Crimson Dawn, who is Dryden Voss. And he's played by Paul Bettany, Jarvis, <laughs> in, in Marvel, also Vision. 
Um, and he's he's fine in this. He's kind of typical villainy guy. Yeah, because we once we go into this tower, they go, okay, we're gonna we're here to see Dryden Force, and we cut to like Dryden Force stabbing somebody in a meeting. <laughs> oh yes, because he's the bad guy, and he don't give a fuck about nothing. He'll just stab a guy for no reason, just cause. Because uh, he's bad. Yeah, basically. He's and he's got, got a scar on his face. He's got a couple scars on his face. Because he's bad. So Han and Beckett and Chewie are now amongst this party where they clearly do not belong. Oh, Chewie is like double fisting cocktails like a boss. He's my fucking spirit animal in that scene. I'm like, you go, bitch. You're in an awkward social situation. Just drink away your fears. <laughs> it's fine, sweetheart. Uh, But yeah, this is like rich cocktail party. Beckett tells Han to not look at anybody and just stare at the floor. But, of course, who does Han spy across the room? It's Kira. <gasps> and then the second you see her, they hug and have a cute reunion moment. And then they're talking. And, like, she's very vague about her situation and why she's here. But she essentially says that she works here at this moving tower of evil and <laughs> uh, eventually it is revealed that she is Dryden Voss's right hand lady. And Dryden walks in he goes, oh Beckett, who's this with you? So he meets Han and Chewie and he goes let's all go talk privately. Yeah, what I don't like particularly about this whole plot point with her and working with Voss and all that like they try to make it ambiguous like you don't know like what side she's on really but it seems pretty obvious from the get go like the second you see you kind of guess what's gonna happen I don't know like I could kind of figure out pretty immediately like oh okay so they're gonna reunite and he's gonna figure out that she's not the person she once was and she's really evil now and blah 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 well i think the key to this movie and i think what they say about her constantly because i think beckett says it voss says it i think everybody but han says it about kira is she is a survivor and that's the that's I think I, I would have liked to see more from Kira in this movie, at least be shown and not said. Yeah, they kind of just say like, "Oh, you don't know what she's done. She's done horrible things." Like what? She doesn't really do anything horrible in this movie. She kind of just like the worst thing she does is spoiler alert: she kills the bad guy at the end. But, like, that's not horrible. And really, she only does it to kind of take over his spot, essentially. Yeah. Uh, Well, she does that. She does knock out the head of the mining camp. Yeah. But that even that, like, she doesn't do anything that egregious that no one else has done. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. There needed to be something in there to show this change in her. Yeah. Her her character is a little underdeveloped, I think. Muddled. Is the best. It's muddled a little bit and underdeveloped, I think, is the best term for it. I've The thing is, I always like to compare characters like this to, like, Catwoman. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, because Catwoman has the love attachment to Bruce Wayne to Batman, but she is a criminal. She's a thief. She does do all the bad stuff, and she doesn't want to leave that life, even though Bruce has offered her many times to leave that life. But in Dark Knight Rises, she leaves at the end. We don't talk about Dark Knight <laughs> Rises. Uh, but yeah, I think that's kind of what you want for like a Kira character. So they're like, okay, well, you didn't deliver, so we're just going to kill you here. And Beckett's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. We'll get you your shit. Calm down. We're just going to steal it from somewhere else. We'll steal it from somewhere else. They're like, There's nowhere else you can find that much coaxium is the fuel. Han's like, what if we found unstable coaxium that you could stabilize? And they don't like the idea, but it's in the Kessel Mines. They can sneak in, steal it without anybody knowing that Crimson Dawn was involved. Does the name Kessel sound familiar? Because, you know, the Kessel Run was a thing that Han Solo did. Maybe it'll happen in this movie. Because <gasps> the Kessel Run is a thing that happened. It is. That's that's the thing, too, with prequels. You have to rely on clues, I guess, about the character's life based on the original movies. So it's just very obviously, like, cherry-picked little things here and there from... Well, the originals yeah. about Han Solo and then just like threw it all in a jumble. Well, well that's the issue of prequels in general is right. you have to rely so hard on what the sequel set up for the prequel. Right. Even when you look at things like the Thing prequel, there's a scene where uh, she an axe gets put in the wall and there's clearly a point where the two main characters are like, they can pull the axe out and bring it with them as they go hunt the Thing. And he's like, no, 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 leave it. Because there was, they found an axe in the wall in the sequel. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but why would you leave it? There's no point in you leaving it here. Yeah. But digress. Dryden says, okay, you guys are going to go do this job, but Kira's going to go with you. So they're leaving, and Kira's like, we have to get a ship. I know a guy. Cut to a gambling den. That's basically what I'm going to call it. It's a bar, den. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. But there's this giant card game, and who's the head of this card game? Lando Calrissian. Played by Donald motherfucking Glover. Woo! I really enjoyed him in this movie. The only nitpick I would have is that he does kind of go in and out of the Billy D. Williams accent uh, every now and again. He does because he does he does do the Billy D accent, and when it's on, he does it good. But like you can tell, sometimes he's kind of edging out of it a little bit, and it you know yeah he's it, trying to stay beholden to the act. Like if he didn't have the accent the whole time, he just talked like fucking Donald Glover. It wouldn't have been a big deal. But because he did try to do it and went out of it a couple times, eh. But the overall aura of Lando was there, and I appreciated that. Yes, so Han goes into this gambling match with Lando, where they trade barbs back and forth. Uh, <laughs> Lando keeps calling him Han. Can I ask you a question, Captain Calrissian? Anything, Han? That's Han, but that's okay. Oh yeah, I thought that was funny. Because I'm like, oh, wait, is that because he called him Han in the original? It is. And I was like, it's a cute little nod. I did enjoy that. Uh, uh, And in the end, Lando wins out. 
And Han's a little pissed about it because he's like, he shouldn't have had that card. There's no way he could have had that card. Oh, yeah. But then you see they show it really quick. But Lando has a little mechanism in his sleeve that kind of gives him a card. The Trump card. Yeah, he's a little cheater. Cheater pumpkin eater. Kira, Han, and Lando are discussing that they need Lando for this job. Lando's like, okay, that's fine. Let's let's talk price. And Beckett walks up to him and goes, you get 25%. He goes, oh, you're Beckett. (laughs) You motherfucker. (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll do it for 40%. And he goes, 25%. He's like, 25 it is. <laughs> 25 it is. At, at one point, he says to Beckett, I don't like it. I don't agree with it. But I accept it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hysterical. And I was it's like, such okay, great that was line. cute. <laughs> uh, so, yes, they, they agree that Lando's going to work with them. And then we get introduced to the worst character. Oh, my God. In this entire movie. It's so bad, you guys. Jesus Christ. We get introduced to L3. Fuck L3. So hard. Um, Okay, so (laughs) L3 is played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is a a British actress. This character is super annoying. She's like a feminazi fucking droid and it's really annoying yeah she has one note throughout the movie she's just angry that droids are under the control of humans yes and they should be free and equal and that's her one note oh and she wants to have sex with lando those are her two notes for the entire movie yeah but the interesting thing about her character pretty much the only interesting thing is that phoebe waller bridge she actually, on the set, wore a costume with the head, chest, legs, and arms of L3 with a skin-tight green suit under it. And then afterwards, the mechanical parts were added on post-production. Oh, that's pretty cool. So that's kind of interesting. And I didn't mention it before, but since we mentioned visual effects here, of course... This movie, like every other fucking Star Wars movie in creation, was nominated for the Oscar for visual effects in 2019, but lost to First Man. I mean, I yeah, I, I feel like the effects in this aren't any better or worse than any other Star Wars movie, so that, that makes sense. That's the, that's me. the thing about Star Wars in general is we've seen it all before, right? Yeah. So they have to steal. The Falcon out of, because uh, Lando has the Falcon out of Impound. But right before they steal, this is this is actually a very good point. Because as they're breaking into the Impound, Han is talking about, like, I bet this ship is a piece of junk. A pe- like, garbage. It's horrible. Because that's what everybody says when they first see the Falcon. What a piece of junk. Yeah, it's true. But the moment Han sees the Falcon for the first time, he's enamored. Everybody says it's garbage, but Han. Han thinks it's going to be garbage and falls in love with the ship. And, of course, now they get the ship and they start on their journey towards Kessel. You learn that L3 has the best navigation in her head. I don't care, though, to be honest, because, again, I I know droid characters a lot of the time they you know can be very hit or miss they have a tendency to be pretty annoying but honestly like this is 
This is like the worst. I prefer fucking C-3PO to L3. You guys know, if you've listened to our Star Wars reviews, you know I don't like C-3PO. <laughs> he irritates me. But C-3PO at least you can laugh at how stupid he is. You can't laugh at L3. She's too fucking annoying and just just pointless. Like there's no point to her at all. Yeah, she she's definitely a rough spot in this movie. So on this trip to Kessel, Han and Kira have a moment amongst Lando's capes. Oh yes, they're in like the that was kind of funny the cape closet and there's like fifty fucking capes and they it's funny <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> the cape closet the cape closet <laughs> and then and then they start making out fucking Han and Kira and Scott just goes like fucking the capes fucking the capes I'm like oh my god and it's funny to like the capes are like a thing in this movie the capes the the cape humor was funny because at one point. There's a fire on the ship or something, and Kira takes one of Lando's capes and just starts putting out the fire with the cape. And fucking Lando turns into legit, like, Troy from Community. And he's just like, no, it's custom made. You can yell at me all you want. I've seen enough movies to know that popping the back of a raft makes it go faster. It's a custom made cape. <laughs> oh my god, it's so oh great. Oh god. The the one thing from community that I always think of when I think of Troy is I always think of the was it the worst timeline where he walks in with the pizzas? Oh, and yes. everything's on fire. Yes. <laughs> uh, my one of my favorite lines of his is from that episode where he goes like, "Hey guys, what is a what does a pregnancy test look like?" And he's looking in Annie's purse. And uh, Joel McHale's like, oh, it's a little stick with a thing at the end of it. And he's like, oh, okay, so this is definitely a gun. <laughs> and he pulls it out. It's a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that line. I love that line. Oh, God. I just love Community. So if you haven't seen Community, fucking get on that shit. It's the best fucking show ever. Anyway. Oh, God. So after Beckett breaks up their uh, their makeout session and he... he goes to Han he goes she's not what you think she is don't trust anybody this is what I'm trying to get it through your head don't trust anyone yeah I, I literally wrote down the quote that he said he said assume everyone will turn on you and you'll never be disappointed so that's kind of like a theme in the movie that you're not you don't trust anyone so Kira goes off and starts talking to L3 and this is where we find out that L3 loves Lando and oh my god and it's it's just it's it's done so obnoxiously cuz she's like oh I know that Lando has feelings for me but I'm you know I just I can't do that I'm just, I I'm all about the droids and I'm like oh my god and of course Kira goes well how would that work and, and she's like it works I'm like oh, okay She's just constantly whining and bitching and moaning. Similarly to C-3PO, even though C-3PO is more neurotic whiny. She's like an obnoxious whiny. So we finally get to Kessel, where the idea becomes Kira is going to give Han and Chewie as slaves to the miners. And, uh, her, Beckett, and L3 are going to go talk to the head boss. It's funny because Beckett is dressed like Lando is when Lando does this with Jabba the Hutt in Return of the Jedi. He's in that same kind of suit. Oh, like the, the guard type yeah. suit? Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, that's a that was a nice little throwback for people. 
Lando also, of course, stays on the Falcon, which he has a funny line because I don't know if you know this, but he's talking into a recorder at one point and talking about the Lando Calrissian Chronicles. Yes, I did notice that. It's like a like a captain's log. Kind yeah, of yeah, like a captain's log. Well, at one point there was a discussion uh-huh. after the original trilogy of doing a spinoff called the, the Lando Calrissian Chronicles. Oh, oh that would have been fun. So now as we follow the scene, as, you know, Kira and El Free are talking to the head of the mining colony, uh, we cut to a little screen as Han and Chewie are starting a breakout. Han and Chewie are throwing people around. Chewie definitely breaks a couple people's necks. At one point, as they're running, the alarms start going off. Beckett starts shooting people. Kira fucking takes out the head of the mining colony with a cool, like, swift cape move. Right, and L3 takes this as her opportunity to start liberating all of the droids in the area. She's like, FIFA Revolution! Maybe it's because it's so obvious what her purpose is in the movie, just to be, quote-unquote, comic relief. But she's not funny in the slightest. Like, at least C-3PO is funny because... He's fucking bouncing off of uh, R2 all the time. That's true. So, you know, he's got that going for him. Also, everyone mocks him, like, constantly. This bitch is just so annoying. You suck, you jackass. We cut back to Chewie and Han in the tunnels, and uh, they take care of this one guard, and Chewie starts seeing a bunch of other guards down another tunnel fucking with a fellow Wookiee. Oh, yeah. And Chewie's like, I gotta go. And Han's like, fuck, fuck, fine. Here, take this take this staff and go fuck people up. Yeah, he gives him his only weapon, which was nice of him. And Chewie goes and fucks people up. So Han goes, he finds the coaxium and starts loading up these canisters, which are very heavy, onto like a cart. And he's trying to push this cart. And he gets like encircled by a bunch of guards. And it looks like Han's in trouble. And then suddenly, Chewie comes out of nowhere with the save. Yay! And him and his Wookiee friends help Han push out the uh, coaxium. And they start pushing it towards the Falcon. Uh, the Wookiees start loading it as Han and Lando are shooting a bunch of people and just constantly shooting people. Yeah, because there's like a fucking riot going on now. And uh, L3 is out there fucking fighting for the droids spouting out trailer lines like i'm so happy we took this job yeah like oh my god shut up just just stop it well she's about to and <laughs> l3 gets shot um am i a bad person if i say that in the movie theater when this happened i audibly cheered <laughs> audibly just like Woo! and everyone was like laughing but i cheered because i was happy because his character sucked. Yeah. It, it definitely was like, oh, God. But Lando goes, no. And he yeah. goes, runs over to L3. He, he has a cool moment where he kind of jets over there to her and does like a little slide. And it's it's a cool a cool moment. Yeah. And he's shooting at people. He picks up L3. He gets shot in the shoulder. Yeah. Han's like, fuck. And he goes to go get him and Chewie go and grab Lando and L3. And get back onto the ship. And they fly away. I will say though. Because Lando is holding 
L3 as she dies in his arms. So Han has to fly the Falcon. And I will say, despite the fact that it isn't Harrison Ford, it was really cool to see young Han jump into the seat and fly the Falcon. Yes. and I got like little chills in that moment. And Kira is, of course, sitting next to him. And she doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. She's and- she has no clue. <laughs> and Chewie's like sitting in the third seat, like behind. And you could just tell he's like, I want to sit in that seat. <laughs> I, I forgot to explain it. Kessel is surrounded by a giant storm basically right where there's only supposedly one path to get through the storm Mm -hmm. and now as they're getting out that path is blocked by an imperial star destroyer so he's like fuck okay we gotta that this this is actually the shot of the imperial star destroyer blocking their path is a cool looking shot a bunch of tie fighters come out of that and start chasing them Han's like, okay, we're going through the clouds. Hit the hit the engine, and Kira's like, what, what, what? And Chewie just stands up and fucking takes over. Yeah, she's like, move, bitch, get out the way. <laughs> and Kira's like, okay, you do this, and she gets up and Chewie sits in the seat, and now it's Han and Chewie driving the ship, as it should be. Damn it. Yeah, exactly. So they're flying through the clouds. Uh, there's storms, lightning strikes, meteors. Uh, they've knock off all the TIE fighters on them uh, because Beckett's shooting at a couple of them. Uh, Han fucking does a flip kick at one of them with the fucking Falcon. <laughs> Lando's complaining. He goes, this is why you don't let anyone else drive your ship. At one point, they run into a giant space monster. As you do in space. <laughs> uh, and there's a black hole that's sucking them into them and the monster into the hole. Uh... So Han's like, fuck, fuck, I, I'm trying to get away and we're having the big trouble here. And they're like, okay, we have some of the coaxium that will give us a boost. We have to get it at this perfect angle, this perfect time. And of course they do and they shoot through. Uh, we get a little call back where he goes, okay, we're going to make it through that hole. And Kira's like, I remember us doing this before and it didn't work out. And he's like, it's going to this time, all right? <laughs> and it does because... That's movie magic, kids. So they get free, but the Falcons beat the fuck up. She's she's hurt bad, guys. <laughs> she's a little rough. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it's funny because they get to this planet where they're going to get the coaxium refined and everything. And poor, poor Lando is standing there just staring at his ship all torn up to hell. And Han just, like, comes up to him, puts his arm around his shoulder, and Lando looks at him, and he's like, I hate you. And Han goes, I know. Ha, 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 get it? Because, see, in the original movies, one of the most famous lines is when he says, I love you, and, and Han says, I know. So that's, he did it with the hate, and it's like, it's like the same thing, but twisted a little bit, and it's funny. Scott, it's so funny. Can't you hear the canned laughter putting over this part? It's so funny. I just find it funny, but that's just me. It's cute. That's the thing. Like, the humor... Like, I don't know how far the humor went with Lord and Miller's version of this movie, but the humor that they left in it with Ron Howard's version, it's cute. Like, it's it's not bad, necessarily. Like, there are some things that are like, wah, wah, wah. But like, it's cute. Yeah, it's- a lot of trailery, trailery type lines. Like I said before, 
but it's cute. Yeah, it's it is. And Lando basically is like, I'm going to be on my ship. You come bring me my cut. And you, after that, I never want to see you again. <laughs> and Han's like, never? <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> uh, so th- that goes, Lando goes onto the ship. They have the coaxium. And suddenly, who shows up but Emphis Nest? And Emphis Nest... Space pirates. Space pirates. And they have like a little standoff kind of thing. They said, Crimson Dawn's coming for their shit, so you're going to die if you stay here. And the leader takes off her head, and it's a teenage girl. Yeah, and she explains that Enfys Nest is made up of a bunch of people from different planets, different races that have been marginalized by the Empire. She's like, listen, Crimson Dawn works for the Empire, we're working against them. We're part of the growing rebellion. The war has just begun. All of these like all all these intense lines that are kind of just you know spewed out, very generic, but uh, it gets the point across that like you know obviously the empire's part of this movie, so of course the rebellion also has to be part of this movie because they do mention that Crimson Dawn does have someone that they're working for it's not like just them alone like they're working for a, a higher power of some sort which is implied to be the empire while this is going on uh han goes okay we can't give crimson dawn the coaxium so beckett here's my plan and beckett's like i'm not doing that i'm gonna go leave and go join jabba and tatooine after all of this shit that Beckett went through on this mission, you're just going to leave? <laughs> like, no. When he says he's going to leave, immediately you're like, wait, what? <laughs> and then Lando had left too when Enfisness showed up because he got spooked by them. So he left and it's like, okay, you guys are all about the money supposedly, but then you're just going to fucking peace out. I don't know, whatever. But... As we go forward, Crimson Dawn does show up. Mm-hmm. And surprise, surprise. Beckett double crosses them, essentially. And tells Dryden about the plan. Right. But I do like the fact, though, that after speaking to the people in Enfys Nest and hearing about their, their, struggle. their, their struggles, he immediately wants to help them. Yes. Because that just lends credence to what Kira had told Han before which is like you're not a bad person you're the good guy hate to break it to you kid but Uh, you're the good guy hey 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 I'm a scoundrel Uh I am a scoundrel I will not have any of this I'm a good guy nonsense you're a scoundrel with a heart of gold no 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 basically Beckett double crossed Han and them but Han predicted that. Right. Han basically did a double double cross because he saw that shit coming, got two steps ahead, and set Dryden and his crew up to get ambushed by Emphis Nest. Yes. And, and that that was interesting. Like, you know, because the, the whole Beckett turning on them thing was, again, pretty predictable. But the double double cross was a little... That was that was better. Yeah. That was a little bit of a well, turnaround. I also then liked the fact that 
immediately once they realize the real coaxium's in the room, Beckett shoots two, Dryden's two guards and holds the gun. He goes, I like to be the only one with the gun here when we have the situation. <laughs> so I'm going to take Chewie and the coaxium, and I'm going to go. Yeah, he takes Chewie as a hostage, which you're like, no, not Chewie. Of course, this leads to Han, Kira, and Dryden having a sword fight. And initially, Dryden and Han are having the fight. And Kira joins in, and she starts fighting. Well, she first she holds uh, her staff at Han's neck, and you think she's going to get at Han. But then, I mean, obviously you know like she's not going to kill him. So when she winds up her sword she immediately turns on dryden and again you see that coming because you know she's not gonna fucking kill han yeah so she fights dryden stabs him kills him right tells han to go after chewy and beckett yeah and they again make it pretty glaringly obvious that she's not like she's telling han she's gonna go with him but she's not gonna go with him she's sending him away so she can take over the ship and fucking go on her merry way. Yes, and we get the moment of she calls the boss. Right. And this is the moment where everyone was like, ah! Yeah, this this was the only genuinely surprising part of the movie. Yes. Darth Maul turns out to be the leader of Crimson Dawn. His physical stature in this movie is played by Ray Park, but the voice is done by Sam Witwer, who does Darth Maul's voice in the Clone Wars series. I was apprenticed to the most powerful being in the galaxy once. I was destined to become so much more. But I was robbed of that destiny by the Jedi, by Obi-Wan Kenobi. It was it was fun to see Darth Maul. Yeah, uh, he still looks pretty badass. But yeah, they, he basically tells Kira, like, you know... Okay, you're taking over for Dryden now? Well, you and I are going to get a lot closer. Da, 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 da. And she basically takes off on the ship. Her character, like I was saying before, she is underdeveloped, but I feel like th- there could have been potential there to make her more interesting. I don't know. It, it's, it, it feels kind of hollow when it turns out that she is taking Evil. over yeah when it turns out that she is a bad guy and, and i get they they built it up throughout the movie i guess in their own way they you know she has a conversation with han at one point where she's like oh it's not about winning the game it's yes. about staying in as long as you can yes. like you said too she's always referenced as a, as a survivor and da, 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 da. it just feels very generic and not really delved into so we cut to Beckett and Han. Beckett's like, kid, I told you, you're not supposed to trust anybody. Yeah, and he starts going into this whole, like, evil guy monologue. You know what your problem is? You think everybody's like you. Not you, kid. You're nothing like me. I hope you're still paying attention because now I'm going to tell you the most important... And he gets shot in the chest. He falls to the floor and he goes... I guess you were listening, kid. Yeah, it's it's actually it was a good moment because everyone I remember everyone in the theater like lost their shit because they're like, Han shoots first, <laughs> and it it was a good moment because the, the cool thing about Han is that he does ride that line between asshole, 
scoundrel and good guy with a heart of gold and you kind of have to in the position he's in so yeah the fact that he just kind of hauled off and shot Beckett even though throughout the movie their relationship was I really liked their dynamic yeah they had a good dynamic Woody Harrelson sells this stuff pretty well yeah Yeah, I actually think he's an underrated actor so Beckett's dead Han gives the coaxium to Emphis Nest Mm mm-hmm and they have this kind of somber moment where Han is on the ground and he sees Kira's ship flying overhead and she's staring at him and he's staring up at the ship and it's there's no words said Chewie kind of just puts his big old paw on Han's shoulder and it's it's just kind of an accepted thing that like okay she's gone she's 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 made her choice and it's it's kind of sad in that moment despite the fact that I mean, they don't have the two of them, Amelia Clark and Alden. They don't have like the greatest chemistry in the world. It's, it's not bad, it's but it's fine. not. It's very like average, kind of like most of the aspects of this movie. Very average, but you still kind of feel the somber moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Han gives again. He gives the pirates their uh, the coaxium. They ask if he wants to join the rebellion. He goes, Ah, nah, that ain't my deal. And the, the fucking teenage girl, Emphis Nest girl, is like, maybe someday you'll change your mind. Wink, wink to the audience there. <laughs> and they fly off, and they go to another card game. Yes, we get a nice little end scene where Chewie and Han go find Lando. And Lando's like, oh, guys, how you doing? And he goes, you left us there. You almost got us killed, mother... And then Han sees the card in Lando's wrist. yeah. And he brings Lando in and hugs him and steals the card. Yeah, he fucks with him. And Lando goes, oh, God, I thought you guys were mad there for a second. Oh, no, never. No. Hey, let me buy into your game here. And then they end up playing, and uh, he's like, if I win, I get the Falcon because she belongs with me, that ship. And Lando's like, okay, you don't know when to quit. And Lando goes to reach for his card and it's not there. And he's like, Han is like, you got everything you need there, buddy old pal? <laughs> it's like, oh shit. They, they throw down their cards and Han is the winner. And it was a really funny moment because Chewie, <laughs> Chewie literally throws his arms up in the air and goes, Rrr! It's like, okay, Chewie, calm down. But yeah, they take the ship, the the Falcon. It is rightfully theirs. Han says to Chewie, hey, earlier, Beckett mentioned this guy Jabba on Tatooine, and he's looking for smugglers to work for him. Maybe we should head down there. Ah. So they go down, <laughs> they they fly off into the into the unknown. Into the credits, basically. Yeah. And that was Solo, a Star Wars story. And I still think this is more good than bad. Um, I, I think it's a fun movie. Yes. And there's there, Yes, there's some average there, and there's some underdevelopedness, and it is a little murky at times. But I like the humor that's there. I Lando's really great. Han, I, I, I actually do like Alden Ehrenreich, and I can see in a 10-year span... Him becoming Han Solo. Yes, I agree with that. I, I did like Alden. There are fun moments in this movie. Given the situation that we that we have, given the circumstances, 
it worked out more good than bad. I agree with that. I would have liked to see what Lord and Miller would have done with this, given the chance to finish. Because I have a feeling some of the funnier moments were theirs. Like, don't yeah, get... I would have liked to see what they were going to dole out. I think yeah. it probably would have been fine. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Ron Howard is a season director. Yeah. And if you need a guy to come finish your product, Ron Howard was a good guy right. to come finish a product. I have it as a 3.5 on Leatherbox. I have it as a solid 3. But I think we're both kind of in the same ballpark, ballpark as far as our feelings about it. But I will say, I have a feeling that this movie, despite its flaws, is going to be a lot better than the next and final movie we're going to watch for our Star Wars series. Oh, yeah. Oh, guys. You know, we we got to end the series with a bang. This is next month is going to be the last month we do this with Star Wars. So we got to end with a big bang <laughs> and a big bang we shall have. Scott, oh, what what are you going to make me watch next month? <laughs> a movie that I have not watched since college. We are going to watch the Star Wars Christmas special. No, it's not true. That's impossible! It is the holidays after all, guys. (laughs) But that's in a month. Yeah. Oh, boy. We got got three more movies before that. Well, also, I mean, we should mention that this is coming out. We're filming this the day before Halloween. But this is coming out the day after Election Day. So, I mean, obviously, I'm assuming we're not going to know for sure who our president is by the time this comes out but um next week we're gonna watch a movie that is i think very appropriate considering the situation we're in now should be very interesting hopefully the whole country has not devolved into a civil war by the time this comes out anarchy (laughs) but until then this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Solo. No. No, you're not. Uh, make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. And make sure you check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And pretty please, if you could, vote for us in the Best of Long Island competition that's going on right now. We are nominated for Best Podcast. Voting is open until December 15th. You can vote every single day, once a day. Yep. And make sure you come back next week for another crazy, politically charged, possibly, movie adventure. Oh, boy. Watching haters wonder why Gambino got the game. Half-tied thicky. All she want to do is bang. Got